Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast for another episode. I'm Matt Walsh and I'm in the Disney Melbourne studios with Jake Michaels and champion data's Christian Jolly. Gents, feels like just yesterday we were in here recording Jake's 50 Best Players special. Um, how are we happy with the feedback we've received from that, Jake? Um, happy with the feedback. Interesting question. I would say any feedback's good feedback. People are reading it. Right. Um, but like we said when we did it uh, the other day, you know, we you're never going to have people agree. And I don't think I got one positive piece of feedback. So, which is which is how the internet works, doesn't it? People only comment with negative feedback. If someone thought it was a great list, they're not going to comment. So you go to a, you go to a restaurant, you don't write a review if you have a if it's a good meal. But if something dodgy happens, everyone's straight to the old uh, Google reviews. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, look, these sort of lists. Well, I think we said it when we did record that episode that they are very subjective. You could get a hundred thousand people in a room and put their list together and no two people are having mm. the same list. And the the breadth of the number of players that will be listed in a top 50 will be potentially upwards of 150, 200 players. That's it. And it was, certainly wasn't by design, but um, the fact that uh, Herald Sun's Mark Robinson's list came out same day, same time, basically. Yeah. Also um, ripped to, to shreds by some. Yeah, ripped, so. of course, ripped. Um, and, I mean, obviously the top 15-ish were similar in some way but you know then there's players that players that he had in his 50 that I wouldn't have considered for a 75 and then probably the same uh, guys in your top 20 that weren't in his top 50 yeah so um, it's hard and that's the the thing and I was just saying to you guys before we before we hit record like when you do this sort of stuff um, and you know you work in sports media and your name is on content as I've done for 10 years now you expect to get ripped with uh, all sorts of things, but I think this one is more annoying because people tend to think that you just knocked it up in ten minutes and it's just some sort of clickbaity list. I don't think people realise how much time and effort goes into not just my one, but I'm sure uh, Robbo's as well and anyone else doing something like this. And Christian, you brought up the point that you've worked um, uh, alongside the All Australian Board, and it's the same sort of thing with that. Where every year without fail, people will criticise, and we all do. I mean, I've been guilty of that as well. Um, but yeah, so look, it is what it is. It was great fun. It was challenging. Yeah. But um, it was a good read. I, I, and look, it's not like you've just thrown names out there against the wall and hoping that they're going to stick. You, you did back it up. You and Christian were talking, you know, every day for a, a couple of weeks there in the lead up to the release of it. Um, you know, pointing out stats that were some people might not know, some people might know, um, finding out why players might be ranked at that certain place. And I think, you, Chris, Christian, you said at one point that you thought it was a a pretty solid list. I'm sure you had some reservations about some players, but overall, these these are the kind of lists where you are going to be subjectively judging this sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. There was a, you know, a few surprising names, but even going through the numbers, I, I sort of said to Jake, I'm not going to sit here and just throw numbers at you to tell you who should be, you know, you can easily just rank the top 50 rated mm. players and there's your top 50. So um, clearly, you know, you have to look at, uh, you know, standings in the game, ages and things, you know, whether they're going to go up and down and things like that. So was, there was a few names in there that when I first looked at the list, I thought, geez, you got them high. And then as we started to talk through them, I thought, you know, from, you know, one of the names, Taylor Walker, probably been um really, you know, high scoreboard impact mm. player for the last two years. And I sort of slowly came around that, yeah, he probably did deserve a spot in the top 50, but always said he was on a hiding to nothing. But no, I think he should be pretty proud of the list. I think he did a good job. Um, Some of the choice words that you received, do you want to share any of the, the best feedback with some of our listeners? Oh, where do you even start? There's there's hundreds of them. 
Um, number 50 on the list was George Hewitt. And one of the first comments that came through was not even Mrs. Hewitt would pick George over LDU. Sure enough, little North Melbourne icon next to this person's uh, name on Reddit. Um, I refuse to get triggered by how terrible this list is. Fritch over Gorn. This guy is taking the piss. Now, Gorn was very contentious. And I was saying this to you throughout the... the pe- You're not a Ruckman guy. No. Never have been, never will be. Okay. And, and I'm guarantee... And people can laugh. People can say what they want. Guarantee in 10 to 15 years' time, that position will not exist anymore as we know it today. I'm not saying that we won't have... That we may still call it a Ruckman, but what we expect and what they do, it will not be what we see today. Yeah. One of my Put favorites. that in a time capsule. Chat GPT could do better. <laughs> this list is horrifically bad, even for these kind of lists. Um, you did get some some dues. A lot of issues with this list, but they actually gave Laird the credit he deserves, so I'm happy. There you are. Jake Michaels is a bottomless pit of hot takes. <laughs> Shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. This list is all over the place. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the podcast, and, uh, whoever that is. <laughs> and uh, just what, speaking of the podcast, just one, whoever this was... The podcast is a rough listen also. <laughs> Gee whiz. Wow, okay. Well, hopefully you're coming back and um, as we settle into the season, maybe fewer really hot takes of top 50s and more sort of statistical analysis, which is kind of what we try and do on this pod a bit more. Yeah, well, it is. I mean, we have a bit of a bit of a laugh and we, we had a laugh yesterday when the, the comments were coming through. But as I said off, off the top, you know, it's it was something that I did put a lot of time and effort into. And thanks again to Christian for, for the huge amount of help with um with all the players and the statistics and the the, the main thing for me was always if you can justify it mm. why a particular player is ranked 25th or whatever then you can put them there it's when people just here's my names in order that's when i think you can probably rip it a little bit more but if you can justify it and tex walker is probably the 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 great example a lot of people would be surprised when his name was there but when you actually look at his body of work over the last two years, mm. he's in career best form. And this is a guy that was seen as one of the top three or four key forwards, you know, five, six years ago. Yeah. Uh, well, if you haven't read the list, it is at espn.com.au forward slash AFL. So do check it out. Uh, plenty to get to today. We're going to have a talk a little bit about preseason, how much we actually sort of take out of it and what we can actually learn from uh, the one practice, well, the one sanctioned practice match that all of these clubs played. We're going to talk uh, about one new player from each club to look out for in 2023. We're going to talk coaching pressure power rankings, Jake. Mm. Uh, probably More another rankings. controversial list. Yeah. Uh, so my, my turn to sort of cop the heat a little bit. Uh, but before we do, we're going to bring back this little snippet that we do before every episode. Something you noticed from the week in footy, Mr. Michaels. Well, I wasn't at Ed Sheeran. Um, were you? No, I was not. Christian? No. Not an Ed Sheeran My fan. dad went twice. Did he? I think he made a mistake buying tickets one night and my mum wanted to go. Um, That's what they all said. So he went twice Just and wanted to go they twice. went together once. <laughs> um, I, I mean, everyone knows Ed Sheeran was in town in Melbourne and uh, are playing at the MCG. And I, if you haven't seen the turf, I mean, you kind of expect it's going to get all cut up. It looks really bad. It's rough. It's, it's way worse than I thought it would be and, and could have imagined. And as we're recording this, we are nine days out. So nine days out. Do they get it? Yeah, How of course good? they will. It's the MCG. They time this stuff to the minute. You, so you reckon when the ball is bounced, yeah. Carlton Richmond, 
you, you will not know that there was a concert there 10 days ago. Oh, there, days there ago. might be like small little scars around the out, the edges where the, the turf that wasn't affected and the turf Gee, that was affected. I don't know. Affected. I mean, they've got a lot of work These to guys do. are paid a lot of money. They are absolute professionals and they would not have accepted the Ed Sheeran concerts if they did not think they had enough time to sort out the ground before oh, pretty, the showpiece round contract, one event. pretty big contract, the old Ed Sheeran concert. Yeah, it is. 108,000 <laughs> and 105,000 or something. Yeah, not bad. Trump's the grand final. Trump's all the grand finals. Almost all. Yeah. There's a couple in the 70s, I think. They're all standing in the (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Christian, something from the week of footy that took your eye. Yeah, a little bit of an off-field one that I think just came through today. Uh, Adelaide and Toyota have just announced they've re-signed or renewed their partnership. And I was just thinking, we've we've probably spoken about it, I think, a few years ago on this pod, about great partnerships across football. And, you know, we're talking about sponsorships and things like that. And... Ford and the Cats, we know they've been together for over 100 years, it might be over 120 years, but I think Adelaide and Toyota being together for 100% of Adelaide's time in the league since they were in the inception in 1991 all the way through to today, I don't know how long they've re-signed the deal for, whether it's another 5 or 10 years, but I think it's just an underrated sponsorship partnership i mean you know the camry crows that's almost yep. what they were called growing up i know you know the toyota camry is probably not as popular as it was back then but just <laughs> just yeah being able to stick with the same major sponsor for 100 percent of your history i think is just, yeah. a, Synonymous, just an underrated thing by the crows well how well they're done. like you said i'm i mean i remember being a kid and watching adelaide games and that just that sticks in my head the but the the back of the jersey the 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 branding i just that's what I see the old the old players wearing that jersey. Yes, mm. it is. It's synonymous. Geelong and Ford's a good one. We were talking off air. Uh, West Coast and Hungry Jacks yep. had some sort of. Um, I think when I was growing up, it was the messages on hold. You got at Subiaco. Yeah, that holding they, behind the goals. They clearly, obviously, had free tickets to give away if you just flashed the sign. Yeah. I ended well, up watching that more than the footy a lot of the time. One, I, one I always laughed at was I reckon the Wizard Cup changed names, and for about three years it was still called the Wizard Cup. So somehow Wizard <laughs> Home Loans got, got their name in there first. And yeah, no matter what it was called for the next few years, people were still going, oh, it's still Wizard Goal. You know, we had the nine yeah. point goals were called Wizard Goals and the Wizard Cup. It's like, no, there's a different sponsor this year. It's I'm funny sure. how if you can kind of nail nail the sponsorship name of something, see, Metricon's been renamed. What yeah. could, could you tell me what it is? Um, Something Bank, Southern Bank, great, something like that. Gee, that's pretty good. H. Yes, it's, it's a bank. Heritage Bank. Heritage Stadium? Bank. Yes. So yeah, it might take a while, but, yeah. uh, but it'll be Metricon call, for a while. People will be calling it Metricon for at least five years. Yeah. Like uh, someone said, uh, Telstra Dome before. People still call it Telstra Dome. Optus Oval. People still go to Optus Oval to watch Carlton Train. Yeah. Um, there's a few a few around there that you kind of just you know you stick with them. But yeah. what's the one in Sydney called these days? A core. Telstra Stadium. One of the one of them is ANZ yeah. Stadium, Stadium Australia. Oh goodness. SCG. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something I noticed. Um, speaking of Sydney, the game in Sydney. There, uh, I hope we're going to get commentators back in the the boxes at grounds, Jake. And yeah, I know that we've feel- talked about this a little bit. It just adds this little bit extra where your color commentators can sort of see what's happening the entire length of the ground instead of seeing what's being shown on screens. Yeah. Because there was a moment where there was a bit of an electrical storm in Sydney during the preseason game up there where we lost pictures as viewers. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, the, why aren't the commentators saying what's happening while I can't see the pictures? And then they cut to poor old Dwayne and Derm and they're scrambling with their pieces of paper just sort of going through what sort of happened and clearly they were obviously in the Fox footy studios, which for preseason, maybe I understand it, but yep. I'm really hoping we're going to get back to having commentators at grounds because it's a small, it might be a small to some imperceptible difference, but having commentators at the ground, I just think there's this extra layer of depth to the calling that we miss when they're not there. I agree 100%. I know uh, our good friend Ronald Connolly's 
one of his major AFL gripes over the last couple of years. And it's Got one of those, of those things he does. It's one of those things that sort of crept in during COVID and seems to be sort of like, well, we, we managed, so why would we go back to that and fork out X amount of dollars throughout the season? I'm sure it does cost a lot of money, but but as you say, that's part of the that's part of the responsibility of being the host broadcaster. Um, you got to be there. Yeah. Well, we sort of saw in the big bash towards uh, it was in the finals. There was one point where um, the commentators were calling from a studio, must have been in Melbourne, uh, and uh, they were playing in Perth, and the Scorchers were playing, and someone hit. A, a tall one that kind of went really deep towards cow corner can't remember who the players were for the life of me apologies but um it sort of looked like it was going to go for six and so the camera was kind of trying to kind of find where the ball was and the commentators oh it's, it's gonna go all the way turns out he got caught yeah. about five meters in from the rope and like it's yeah it's, it's, it's a no moment good. it's one moment out of 180 moments um that a t20 match goes for but it sticks with you yeah so yeah i agree um get it sorted there you go. Uh, let's crack into things. Preseason. I know there's different coaches will take different things out of it. They'll try different things. They'll some will take it a bit more seriously. Maybe you've got a young list with players trying to impress. They really want to get out there. And, and do you like preseason? I think the format that it is now is probably the best format for it right now. I think have your little practice game that's that's sanctioned by the clubs. Have your one sanctioned game and then get into it. Because the Wizard Cup over four weeks and, you know, they, it's, too they, too, it's too much football. Too much time to get injured. Too much time where these players are uh, fluffing around, basically. So yeah. I think that it's that it's right. I mean, maybe two sanctioned practice matches might make a bit more sense. Take it a little bit more seriously because in that first week we had some games going for five and a bit quarters oh. until the light well, it was bad. Yeah, this is weird. Um, so it was a bit strange and you couldn't really take anything out of that. But we thought we'd task Christian with the impossible task. And that's taking what we can away from the preseason for clubs that have new coaches this year. Because we know what the, the, the clubs that have new coaches did last year and, and where they were successful or not so successful for most parts. But I wanted to sort of find out if we could get a sense of what these coaches were going to be doing differently this year uh, compared to the old tenure. So obviously Essen and GWS, St Kilda, North Melbourne. Um, I don't know where you want to start, Christian, but I guess the, the Bombers, alphabetical order, um, were not a great defensive side last year, is probably fair to say. Um, they they didn't really apply a lot of pressure at all throughout throughout the, the, the season, and that was probably one of their, their downfalls. Um, overall, though, they had good kick ratings. They scored from inside 50s the fourth, fourth most often of any side behind Geelong, Sydney, and Richmond. So there were, were positives there. Can you see what um, what Brad Scott is doing well early and what he's not doing well early? I know no, that the conditions again, at RSEA Park were yeah, not great. And, and it's probably why you've probably started with the hardest team in just terms of... I, I did get probably a little bit out of St Kilda, and you know we're going to touch on them in a minute. But Essendon, especially that first half, they were just... They were just beaten out of the block so early. And again, we spoke about, and we're going to talk about North as well, uh, when we get to them shortly. And we, we spoke about North last year and probably Adelaide two years ago. It's really hard to judge a team when they're just they're just not in possession of the ball for too long. They're just scrambling. They're only getting one or two touches per chain and then losing it again. Sort of like how Essendon started. So very hard to sort of get a read um, on exactly, you know, how they're going to try to move the ball exactly. It was very windy. It was played sort of down yep. one side. Um, but yeah, very much, you know, at the moment, it was very much a, a kicking game style. So they had 214 kicks, 131 handballs. We know a lot of clubs are sort of, um, you know, a bit closer to handballs to kicks um, when when they get the ball moving. But, yeah, it was a very sort of even with the wind, it was still sort of a high kicking game for Essendon. Uh, they took, you know, 104 marks to St Kilda's 93. So they outmarked St Kilda 
but yet got a return of three goals. So you can almost see from the scoreboard, three goals, 14, um, from, you know, 48 inside 50s. You can see it probably wasn't a game. It's almost a game that I don't know. I don't, you know, haven't spoken to Brad Scott obviously, but uh, whether it was just a write-off, whether it was just get a get a little bit of how did the players sort of move and how did their fitness go. But in terms of their overall ball movement and having the ball in hand and trying to do what they want to do, I don't think we had a good look on that weekend for exactly how they're they're planning to play this year. Probably the worst sort of practice match you can have, Jake, in preparation for a season at a ground that you're never going to play. At, during the regular season mm. in conditions you're probably never going to face at any AFL ground in the country maybe apart from Launceston or Hobart but I don't think the, the Bombers are going down to Launceston or Hobart this season so it, I, I feel for Scott in a way that you know you're playing at this this small suburban ground which is great because the fans love it it was packed it was a lovely day just a bit breezy um, but ultimately, they're going to be playing a lot of their home games at, at Marble Stadium so I mean what can you take out of these sort of things? Well not much I mean this is the this is probably my issue not issue with preseason but it's probably why I don't really read too much into it um, whether they play like you said you know going back a couple of seasons when they played more more matches and, and all that sort of stuff the thing for me with the bombers is where where what's the ceiling for Essendon this year what's the best case it's a good question what do you expect because you can look at the bombers in a couple of different shades you can look at it as low they understand that they probably need to go back to the well again. New coach, new new time frame, reset, yeah. this whole sort of stuff. So so 12 months ago, I was actually standing in this same spot and I thought Essendon were a big chance to play finals. Well, they played finals the year before. Yeah, I thought, they, I thought they were better. I thought they were a better team. I thought that improved. And obviously, we know what happened last well, year. So this, this time last year, I would have had, you know, if we talk percentage, I would have had Essendon 15% above Collingwood heading into yeah. last season of where the lists were at. and So why can't Scott do a Craig McRae? Well, there's no reason why he can't. Um, and, you know, I, I I know that I was kind of negative on Collingwood all year, but I tend to think that Collingwood is going to slide back a little bit. I'm not saying they're going to fall right down, but I think a little, a little bit of the come back to the pack in terms of Regression not going to win so many of those tight games, combine that with a tougher draw, and all of a sudden it's totally different when you become... Not to get too off off track here, but it's different when you become a hunted team. When you become, you were a top four team last year, you know, as opposed to a team that people, some people thought were bottom four um, going into the year. So yeah, with Essendon, there's no reason they can't do that. They've got enough, they've got enough talent. I think I really do think that, and I, that's the same thing that I thought the year before. That's yeah. the, that's why they went from playing finals to having these expectations. Um, so I don't think it's an. I don't think. At, if you can, you can get to round twelve and they're you know three and nine and you say well, they just don't have enough quality there and I don't know Rowan will sort of say that there's just, there's not enough quality there but I think you can make that case can you yeah I mean they got again looking at the last, if you look at last two years of data they've probably got an elite player across every line if not two I mean Jordan Ridley's now sort of you mm. know, just hit the elite key, uh, general defender. Peter Wright's pretty close to being an elite key, key forward. Um, and then you've got Parrish and Merritt in the midfield. Stringer, at his best, obviously, is you know even better than Peter Wright. We just haven't haven't yep. seen him being able to string it together. You know, pardon <laughs> the pun, string it together. Good from you. But it is, it is probably, and we've spoken about this and trying to rate it, the bottom five, bottom ten players and things like that. The, the amount of changes they make to their bottom ten each week doesn't seem very settled. There yep. is always players coming in and out. So I think it's trying to find those you know supplementary or support players that can really sort of you know help merit and parish you know they're going to get 30 and 40 but if the next 
best midfielders down at 10 or 12, you know, it's not high enough. So someone like Setterfield or even Durham off the wing trying to get more of the ball. But to me, yep, I think the elite talent's there. It is. Yeah. It's just the rest of the team and the makeup and the consistency of that group. The player I, w- I would like to see, and I think a lot of Bombers fans would probably agree, um, the player I'd like to see take a take a big jump this year is Andy McGrath. He, he looked like he was about to. I thought last year was a pretty down year from him. Um, and just looking at the top 50 players, you know, if you say, if I said I'm going to do the top 50 players uh, when I did it 12 months ago, I would have thought he would be on that. I would have thought he would have had a year that established himself the same draft as Hugh McCluggage, taken, taken two spots above him. McCluggage, Toronto... Uh, sorry, yeah, whatever it was. McGrath... Taranto yeah. McCluggage, I think. Um, yeah, and he's obviously gone on. He's excelling. Taranto, there's high expectation on him. McGrath has sort of plateaued a bit and then also and then sort of gone backwards. I want him to take a big step this year and really establish himself as one of the top players in that team. And they obviously value him. I mean, he's leadership group. You know, he's vice captain now. So, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's a guy that... And even one name I didn't mention, you know, talk about elite, Sam Draper, and, you know, talk about the top 50, and we sort of saw expect about Max Gordon, clearly the number one ruckman, and it's probably the, the second best ruckman in the competition, probably up for grabs at the moment going into the season. There's probably no clear-cut number two like there was with Gorn and Grundy hmm. previous years. I think, yeah, Sam Draper's got the ability, he's got the, just sort of got that, you know, he's got the ability to be a top ruckman in the competition, but I, I feel like he's got that personality as well to sort of take the team with him. And if, he, if Draper gets, you know, into a big bit of form and starts becoming a dominant ruckman. I feel like he's the one that can sort of carry the midfield and and get a team going. So I think he's an he's an underrated piece of that of that team as well. Bombers are interesting. They face the Hawks first up, a team that probably not a lot of people have too high an expectation of. Um, so you know maybe we'll get to see a little bit more. Maybe we can revisit the Bombers after round one and, and mm. see what we can uh, deduce from from Scott's coaching. Yeah, well, um, absolutely, and I mean Hawth- Hawthorne as well. You know, another team. With uh, new coach, new game style, newish, yeah, um, and uh, a team that I actually posed the question yesterday in the office: Are they, are they potentially the spoon team? Hawthorne, yeah, maybe discussion for another day. The Giants uh, had two coaches last year, so what, what we're going to see from Adam Kingsley might be very different from two different distinct game styles that we saw from from GWS in 2022 uh, when McVeigh took over. They played a super tr- controlled game. You were saying that they, they used the corridor of the back line. They kicked and they marked a lot. Um, didn't score from clearances a lot, which suggests that they're trying to be methodical about the way that they went inside 50. Um, they were pretty good against the Suns. So what did you see from that match the statistically about, about what they're going to do under Kingsley? Yeah, so again, talking to the guys in the office, it's probably something that we thought they were probably going to switch to after you know, 2018, 2019, when they, when they made the grand final and they were sort of up the top of the ladder. Their ball movement was just... It, it really didn't sort of stack up with the team. We know how many good midfielders and ball running carry, ball runners they had last year, and they went to a really slow kick-mark mm. game style. Harry Himmelberg was like their number one disposal in the second half of the season because they almost you know filtered all the ball via centre-half back by him. This year, Adam Kingsley's come in, and it's it's Richmond. It's handball, handball. get the ball moving. Um, so it. second in marks last season, finished 16th in marks on this weekend. They had 185 handballs for the weekend, which is 21 more than any other side. Um, and and again, it was we talk about the kick mark game style being very safe and boring and slow, and it's almost like defending while you've got the ball in hand. But this sort of you know it was faster ball movement. As I said, it's easier to hit the target with handball, so it helps your disposal efficiency. 
um, stay high, but they had a disposal efficiency of 80.5%. So there's only nine teams last year that finished a match with over 80% disposal efficiency, and only four of those nine teams also scored 100 points. So a lot of the times the team's going to be highly efficient is because they're just moving it mm. around with cheap stuff in the back line. GWS were efficient and put on 121 points on the scoreboard. So it's about eight points more than any other team scored with an 80% disposal efficiency last year. So that ball movement and that utilizing of all those midfielders was just, it's almost like a breath of fresh air. Thank God that they're yep. using these guys to their strength. And again, the balance between the midfielders. So top three ball winners, Kelly, Green and Ash. Uh, so Kelly had 17 contested, 22 uncontested. Tom Green, your inside bull, 17 contested, 17 uncontested. Lockie Ash a bit half back into the midfield a little bit. 10 contested, 20 uncontested. Then the next four ball winning uh, ball winners were coming. Isaac Cumming had 25, 3 contested, 22 uncontested. Uh, Lockie Whitfield, 25, which was 2 contested. Cornelio was 24 with 8 contested. And Callahan had 22 with only 4 contested. So they got their three inside guy, you know, Ash. The distributors. Hop, uh, Hash, Green, Callie, you get in there. And then you get it out to the distributors of Isaac Cumming and Callahan. And if you've got that clear delineation balance between your midfielders of who your inside midfielders are and who you want to get on the ball on the outside which is what we saw from them on the weekend their midfield could play you know obviously as as, as most teams do but their midfield is going to probably hold the key of where the Giants can get themselves back into you know I think a top 10 finish would almost be a tick for them wouldn't it I don't know from I, my expectations year. are lower than that yeah, but I think I mean. any time so if, if they has, can get to a top 10 I finish if they finish top 10 it's a massive tick yeah oh. and, I, and I think they can push that way just, just based on Again, one week's worth of uh, of data, but the yeah. way they're playing is going to hold that hold that squad in a good stead. Return of the orange tsunami, almost. Well, it is, um, and it's such a drastic uh, change. You know, it's such a drastic way to change the the way you play the game. And I think going back to what you're saying about um, expectations, I don't think many people, particularly after they lost Toronto and Hopper in the off season. Um, and your midfield's quite depleted. And there are questions. You know, there have been questions about Cali and Canelio as well in terms of, you know, they still got their best footy in front of them. Um, it's exciting. Um, and But my only query about that first stat you had was how much of that is because it's pre-season and pressure is a little lower. That's exactly uh, the question I had. But the opposite is what I was, I was just laughing because I've always said it the self. So I call games out at Casey. I've been out to Morwell. AFL players cannot play on suburban grounds. That game at RSCA, and even the commentators were giving them credit, saying, oh, they don't usually, you know, they're usually used to having more sheltered with the grandstands. And yeah. that's what suburban footballers are playing on every single weekend. Yeah, yeah. But once you get a little bit of wind, so I think it's actually, yes, there's less pressure, but no, disposal efficiency isn't usually higher during the preseason because you're rusty, you're playing true. At, at different venues. So um, there's an so argument that they played out at Blacktown. But exactly, no, there's, there's no sort of. Yeah, talking down a disposal efficiency in a preseason game because yeah, sometimes it is actually harder to hit a target. I mean, if if he Kingsley's a, a chance to be coach of the year if they are anywhere if if they're in the hunt for finals, they don't even have to make it. If they're in the hunt for finals going into the last two rounds of the season, it's hard to say what else happens. But that he's got to be in the running for coach of the year to be able to change the way they play so drastically, overcome the players that have gone out. And to be able to do that would be a monumental effort. But let's, I mean, we haven't, yeah, even, we haven't I was played the same. a quarter of the Two weeks yet. ago, I was pretty low on GWS. But watching that game style and sort of hearing Adam Kingsley speak for the last couple of weeks in, in the lead up to it, they're sort of, yeah, they, I've got to watch on them that they could be one of the surprise packets that I yeah, wasn't reading. Tiger tidal wave, orange tsunami feel about it mm. from, the, from that era of Richmond. Uh, North Melbourne, 
bit of a tough one to kind of get a gauge on last year at times as well. Just purely because they were times where you could see what they were trying to do and to take the game on, you know, pinging up the corridor, take that kick on the 45, high risk, high reward, but a lot of the time it didn't it didn't pull, it didn't work out and they'd get they'd get burned on the rebound and then when they did try and control the ball did try and get a lot of stoppages you know locking games down they're just not good enough at the coal face ben cunnington's back we'll, we'll see a bit of that but under clarko do you see any anything that that sort of jumps out at you that might be different this year going forward again so when they did have ball in hand and i think you know they they, they scored quite well from the back half in this game against the bulldogs they're the second most meters gained by handballs which is sort of different to an Alistair Clarkson Hawks type kicking team. They were very much kick, you know, not not high kick mark um, like West Coast are, but Clarkson probably at the Hawks, you know, it was all all about moving the ball by foot. But yeah, sort of bringing in yeah second most meters game by handball, but only twelfth for handballs for, for for the game. So for the round, so they didn't have a lot of handballs, but all the handballs sort of took at least four or five meters going forward each time. So a lot of run gun about their game when they had it. Um, which which sort of helped them. 26 points from defensive midfield change was ranked equal second. So a lot of their scoring came from that run and gun off half back with that with that run and carry handball. But like I spoke about Essendon and like I spoke about North previously, they just couldn't get their hands on the ball. So negative, you know, 89 fewer disposals, 77 fewer uncontested possessions, 26 fewer That's contested massive. possessions, and then with ball in hand, their disposal efficiency was 7% lower than the Bulldogs, which was the worst differential of the weekend. So, again, you can talk about game style and what they want to do, but they've got to go back to basics. They've got to yeah. get their hands on the ball. If And, again, if you want to talk little improvements, if they can get to at least 14th or 13th for contested ball, they'd have to start to be happy because they're just so far 18th at the moment um, that they really just need to... They just need to start at that. Just get their hands on the ball and then start to work from there. This will be the thing with, with North Melbourne is they'll be afforded a lot of time both in the coach's box, both with the list build, with the players that they do have that are you know coming through, uh, high draft picks, the, the lot. The, yeah, and I think that's part of the, the whole lure of Alistair Clarkson is that he will get time. Absolutely. You know, any other coach, after after 24 months, it's going to be, well, what's going on? We're not winning games. Whereas people, you know, will cut Clarko some slack. Um, and like I've said, and this has always been my issue with with coaching, coaches getting too much credit. He's you can't turn. No one's going to turn it around that quickly. You know that that's damning. Forget that they're 18th in winning the ball. If they're the they're the worst team at winning the ball, and they're the worst team at using the ball. That's that's not good. Yeah, and so the other thing that again talking about you know the ball movement and the and the quick movement off halfback. So they finished with 57 inside 50. So it was another problem. They just couldn't get it inside last year, and you know. They did have huge games, but the top two targets across the competition for the weekend were two North players. So I think Combin was targeted 11 times inside 50, Nick Larky 10 times. So at least they're giving their forwards mm. more chances. And, and again, the ball just lived in their defensive half last year. If they can, you know, again, if they can average 56, 57 inside 50s per game, they'd be wrapped in themselves. So yeah, smashed by the Bulldogs by 60 points, but sort of lost the inside 50 count by only six. So you can sort of mm. see, well... Again, didn't have as much of the ball and he didn't use it as well, but you still got it into your front half. So the ball movement is working for him. I think that high handball gains um, did work for him on the weekend. But yeah, there's so, there's other parts of their game that they just desperately need to fix as well. Uh, mm. Last of all, the Saints. You probably got a little bit more out of what St Kilda is all about this year compared to the Bombers. Um, obviously, we touched on the conditions down there. Um, but look, second coming of Ross Lyon, we're so used to knowing what he brings as a coach. Um sticks with a, a pretty consistent 22 if he can uh, love, love, sort of a bit more locked down not as open as what we th- we think we, we might get from other coaches uh, any indication of what we're going to see from St Kilda? Yeah pr- pretty much that so again 
one game and, and, and going against one opposition, so it's hard to say that there's going to be the trend for the year, but they were plus 28 contested possessions, so the number one team for the weekend um, for contested possession differential. So uh, smashed in there. At the clearances, though, they were sort of negative 27 in hitouts, so smashed out of the ruck, negative two in clearances. So they weren't necessarily winning the ball out of the stoppage first, but they were still winning the contested possessions. But scores from clearances, they were plus 13 points. So... Again, the whole Ross line adage of if we're going to lo- you know, we can't win every single possession, but if we lose a possession, we've got to be one of the best to defend it. So mm. um, getting sort of beaten on the exit of the stoppages, but not getting beaten on the scoreboard, which is good for them. Um, again, one of the one of the huge numbers, we, I know it was windy, and I think the wind was going across the ground into, into the sort of to the boundary, but they used the boundary coming out of the defensive 50, 70% of the time. Uh, the highest team last year was 57%. So 7 out of 10 of your entries cut. So we got three zones. We've got corridor, wing, and boundary. So boundary is right up against the line. How how, how wide would you say the boundary is? Yeah, so it's about within 2 meters? to 5 metres. No, 2 to 5 metres right. of the boundary. So you, you're basically You're just, hugging it. Yeah, you're yeah. hugging the boundary. So the wing is, you know, if mm. you come in a little bit more. So 7 out of 10, I mean, the, the wind would have played a big part for that, but only 6% or one of their defensive 50 came through the corridor. So Ross Lyon avoided the corridor, came out wide, um, they kicked forward the second most of any team and played on the second most. So they did try to go a little bit fast, but it probably wasn't that helter-skelter handball game. It was sort of, you know, kick it kick it to space and then sort of play on and try to kick it to play space. Play on, but, but keep it safer. Yeah, keep it safer. Yeah. So, um, But yeah, the, the big thing for me is, again, as the game went on, they were just crying out. Their, their forward line just sort of didn't sort of get the rewards as, as um, on the scoreboard that they would have liked. So... Just even looking for a forward 50 target. Obviously, Max King didn't play, but he's going to miss a few few mm. uh, rounds to start the season. Their top 50 targets, Zane Cordy was used four times. Struggled to pronounce his name. Camantini or Caminiti? Yep. Uh, three times. Higgins three times. And Mitch Owens, who was, um, you know, mm. as a midfielder, is a little bit half forward flank. He was targeted three times as well. So at the moment, yep, yeah, I think um, tick in the defensive and midfield zones for what they're doing there, but sort of that forward line and how that functions without Max King is going to be the big watch. Tim Embry's a big out as well for, for the early part of the season. Um, not sure if he's going to play round one. I'd have to look that up. But um, they've got, they're going to have options in the second in the back half of the year uh, again. But again, expectations-wise with the Saints, Jake? Mm. High, low, mid? Um, I feel like the last couple of years, I, I sort of take a spot or two off them, a ladder spot off them each, each year. I, I just... For for the reasons Christian just said, the forward line. I know King's not King's not going to miss the entire season, but third I, the, of the season, the forward line does worry me a lot, and I don't think I don't think there's enough in the midfield to sort of overcome that. I don't think they get they don't get enough goals from their midfielders to sort of overcome that. Um, yeah, I, I don't think they're making top eight. Fair enough. Uh... Look, a lot of player movement over the off-season as well, so there's going to be a few new faces, a few new numbers at each each different club. So, Christian, we've got you to take a look at one player from each club who might be a new face um, and just sort of, I don't know, someone to keep an eye out for in the early parts of the season or, or, or if and when they debut, if it might be a draftee. So we've got to try and run through these quickly because we uh, chat and footy as always. Just yeah, I'll, I'll go through this, club by club and sure. stop me if you want to talk about anyone further. But yeah, just some names and some of their stats from their first uh, appearance with their new team. So Isaac Rankin's probably a big one for me in Adelaide. Um, you know, giving up a top six draft pick to get him into the club and some futures as well. He finished with 13 disposals, not a lot, but seven score involvement. So more yeah, than half he, of his disposals resulted in a score. He had a month uh, last year where he looked like he had or was about to take a massive 
step. Yeah, he he had a month or so where he was on record, well record pace for ground ball gets one inside fifty. Yeah. Like he was just yeah. so clean at winning the ball off the ground. It was like three or four times per game. So he also had six tackles um, this That's weekend, a great which was sign. The second most at the club. And, and again, we spoke about Adelaide's signature last year was they were hard to play against. Nearly every one of their t- every one of their players that gets onto the field for Matthew Nix buys into the defensive scheme. Good tacklers, good contested possession players. So. So, yeah, play your first game at the club, finish with six tackles, the second most is a good result. Uh, again, had to pick one player from every club. So uh, we'll, we'll leave our good mate Josh Dunkley for now. He had a good game for Brisbane, but Will Ashcroft was uh, probably the one for me. 26 disposals um, and probably, you know, an underrated one was eight in the final quarter. So game was over. Geelong, you know, probably the intensity had, had dropped off, but Will Ashcroft had played midfield 100% of the game and was still running motoring yeah motoring along in that last quarter and there's a few times he didn't get touches of the ball where he's just on the screen for three kicks in a row and you're like how is he there again how is he there again he's calling for another handball he's calling for another handball so uh we all knew he was going to slot straight in but um as i said yeah he was probably there easily their third best midfielder straight away Round behind, one behind uh Neil and dunkley um Sincotta for uh carlton one of the oh, carlton's last player uh, picture in the SSP. So he had 16 disposals, six tackles, and probably the biggest one is 81% retention rate from his meters gained as well. So 81% of the time, Carlton on the next possession. So mm-hmm. uh, this sort of brought him in to sort of play probably wing or half back. And um, yeah, I, 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 you know, Carlton supported. I think everyone knows that. I don't think there was a lot to like against that game in Sydney. There was, you know, it was a bit of a scratchy match, but he sort of stood out to me in terms of, yeah, yeah. he's going to help replace, you know, um, Zach Williams and, 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 and the likes from exactly. the half back flank. Uh, Tom Mitchell was probably the obvious one for Collingwood, but how did he, how was he going to go? And his role is probably going to get bigger now that Pat Lipinski is going to be out uh, for a few months with a shoulder injury. So he had 28 disposals, 16 contested possessions, which was four more than any other Collingwood player. Three clearances, five tackles. You know what you're going to get from Tom Mitchell. Yeah, I was going to say um, that's that's pretty just tick tick tick. Exactly, yeah. and his output didn't you know didn't drop off. Uh, Alwyn Davy Jr. for the Bombers was a good watch. 13 disposals, kicked a goal. You know they only kicked three for the game, and he, he scored one of them. Uh, and three ground ball gets in the forward 50. I think he had he had seven or eight for the game. Um, three forward 50. So, again, just uh, talking about, you know, having elite players at every line, uh, you know, big call. But I think two or three years away, it looks like he's going to be an elite small forward of the competition. Uh, Frio, uh, O'Meara's probably, I don't know, was he a bit of an underrated player movement? I don't know. I think we had some big names move. but feels like he, he feels like... People will get to round three and turn on a Freo game and think, he's not at Hawthorne anymore? Yeah, but I think, exactly, but he could be, you know... No one seemed to talk about it. He, and and I know Brayshaw and Sarong are what they're building in the midfield around, but he could have that sort of number one role in their midfield because he's got the bigger body, he's got the experience, he might be able to sort of win more of the inside ball. So he's had 22 touches, but 15 uncontested possessions, so a lot on the outside, five clearances, five tackles, a couple of score assists. So again, just a lot of straight in. quite high for him over the last... Yeah, um, and that's what I thought. I thought if, if you're adding 25 disposals, five clearances to that mm. Frio midfield, I don't think that's got enough uh, sort of credit for well, what he could bring. they've got to find a way to, to replace uh, David Barramundi, so... Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. Your mate. Um... Tanner Bruin for Geelong was really impressive. 19 disposals, 84% disposal efficiency, which included like five clearances and five inside 50. So it was getting the ball in close in in uh, in important positions and using it really well. Ben Long behind the ball for Gold Coast had 16 disposals, nine rebound 50s, uh, took a couple of kick-ins, but again, just looks like an experienced head yeah. down back for him, which again, probably took him a long time to break into the St. Kilda team as a regular, but... I was just I, I did that game and within the second quarter it's just Ben Long is clearly running their back line now. He's telling them where to go, mm. he's sort of helping them set up. So 
uh, have a big part. GWS, probably not a, probably the only club I didn't pick a brand new name. Flynn Callahan, only played five games for him in the past. I think one of those games he went off early with injury. But yeah, as I said, with his numbers, 22 disposals, five inside 50s and a couple of goals. Um, yeah, looked like another elite midfielder they can add in there. Hawthorne, Cam McKenzie. Um, I've heard Sam Mitchell speak about him since the game, and you know, it sounds like he's absolutely in love with him. Uh, yep. He had 24 disposals. Again, for a young guy, covered a lot of the ground. Five inside 50s. I don't usually talk about rebound 50s as a stat, but he had four rebound 50s as well. So, so getting across didn't the ground. Didn't end and yep. exactly sort of I, up I and back. I think the Hawks are going to have to try and trial him pretty early as well. Given the fact that we, you know, you talk about him, you talk about Tom Mitchell out of that midfield. That's a lot of quality gone, and if they can find a guy who can come in, have 24 disposals, have the running capacity Cover to the go. Whole field, yeah, yeah that, that's yeah. an important sort of nice early tick um, that Hawks fans can sort of watch this guy develop over the next sort of 12 months. Yeah, a couple of score assists for him as well. Uh, Grundy for Melbourne. So we all know that they, they uh, combined, I think, for six goals between them, the Gorn and Grundy. The but yeah, Grundy, Grundy had 10 disposals, so not a lot. You know, he's probably usually around 19, 20 disposal mark, but 10 disposals, three goals. Uh, just looking at the rut contest split, he took 31, Gorn took 34. So it is close to a 50-50 split for game one. Uh, but yeah, exactly the three do you, goals. Do you imagine that's tick. the way it'll play out throughout the season? Again, it, it's such an unknown for me. Like everyone's got an opinion on how they're going to use them. I'm sure Goodwin's probably got five different plans for the you know. Uh, Gorn started in the first couple of centre bounces, and Grundy started four. But from all the talk out of the preseason, was that Gorn would probably be there seventy mm. percent, you know, be seventy percent forward, thirty percent ruck. So it was completely opposite to what I've been told to expect. So I'm still a wait and see on how that's all going to work. But I'm 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 a big you know, a big supporter of it can't it, it can't fail. I know everyone's sort of saying, "How can you bring in two yeah. premier?" But you brought in two elite footballers in your team. You got two elite footballers in your team, so I don't think it can be a complete failure. Yep. But okay. we'll see if I'm wrong. Uh, Harry Sheasel for North Melbourne um, was there. Obviously, their sort of star pick at the draft this year. Twenty-one disposals, kicked a goal, sixteen uncontested possessions, three contested. So got on the outside and sort of more of a finisher. But then they moved him to half back for the last quarter. So he sort of started at half forward and. Um, Finished with, you know, nine or ten disposals off the half-back line as well. Horn Francis for uh, Port Adelaide, another one of the big, you know, headline movements. Had 21 disposals, 10 inside 50. So one thing for me as a, you know, I don't know how many people remember Brent Maloney. But Brent Maloney, I used to say as a stats capturer, once we clicked his name, the computer should have just automatically put an inside 50 because he was always just going to get the ball and kick it 50 metres forward. I feel like Horn Francis' early days in his career seems to be very attracted to just getting the ball and getting it inside 50. Uh, as quick as possible. So he had, he had 10, in, 10 inside 50s, which is the most for anyone for the week, but six frees against. Ooh. So again, mm. just a, just that little part of his game where he does Fascinating first few weeks, I yeah. think. Yeah, he's a fascinating player. player. Just, and again, he, with Horn I'm, Francis. I'm really well, interested I don't, as to how And then again, goes. it's a bit of a random comparison, but Horn Francis, the previous number one pick, and this year's number one pick, Will Ashcroft. I think yeah. Will Ashcroft's your tick. Everyone's going to fall in love with him. He's your perfect player. He'll never do anything wrong. Whereas Horn Francis, I think, will... I think there'll be a lot of you know heat on him, obviously, from North supporters for leaving. Obviously, he's gone to Port, so you'll probably get all the Adelaide supporters as well. I feel like he's got a bit of a villain uh, arc to sort of overcome before he sort he's of gets heel. accepted. Yeah. It's the wrestling term. You can get uh, wrestling on ESPN channel this day, these days, AEW. But but uh, no, uh, what was the sport you were covering the other week? Lacrosse, yeah. <laughs> lacrosse. Give, me, give me some lacrosse on, please. Uh, Richmond, yeah, the double-up Hopper and Taranto, so I sort of cheated there with with the two. But yeah, 56 disposals between them, 16 clearances, uh, three, four score assists between them as well. Who's a better so, player out of those two? Um, I, I'm, I'm big on Taranto. I think they're different players, but again, Taranto... 
he, again, he hasn't done a lot, and I'm probably basing a lot from I watched him a lot as a junior. He does have that forward ability. He can go forward and take a mark and kick a goal. Plus, he's a very, very good clearance player, and he's a very, very good tackler. I think Hopper's a very, very good ball winner and clearance player, mm-hmm. and the other ones is you know above averaging. But I think Taranto, his tackling and his goal kicking is two underrated parts. You know, his goal kicking hasn't been huge at AFL career yet, but his tackling. Uh, two or three years ago, you know, top five tackle in the competition while also winning so much of the ball. I know we're doing our predictions next week, I believe. I'm yep. I'm really high on the Tigers this year. Yeah. I think they're going to be really good. Yeah, and again, they, they you know, slotted in and, and with Prestia going off injured early and Cochin didn't go in the midfield, these two, you know, ran, ran the midfield for the day. Uh, St Kilda... Uh, Philippo, the, the half-forward we talked about, what they're trying to find, you know, plays inside 50. He might not be a big marking target inside 50. We had 15 disposals, six inside 50s, kicked a goal, had two score assists. So he's going to be a scoreboard impact player. He might yep. not be, as as I said, they're, they're missing Max King early in the season. He's not going to replace him, but he's probably going to kick you one or two goals. And if he can finish his first year with 30 goals next to his name, um, you know, he's on his way to being a star. Big expectations. 30 goals. Not six. easy to do. Huh? Yeah, that's what I mean, you know, one, one and a half per game, but um, we'll see how he goes with consistency. Matty Roberts for Sydney was one for me. Probably, you know, they were just too good a team for him to get a look in last year. Um, he only had the 15 disposals. But again, similar to what I was talking about, Horn Francis, Matty Roberts is one of those outside players that just kicks the ball long. So he had 14 kicks from his 15 disposals. Good old-fashioned football. Um, seven inside 50s, 486 metres gained, which was the third most at Sydney, or fourth most at Sydney for the game. But again, kicking efficiency of... 43%, so below 50%. That's probably one part of his game he has to fix up. But I think they that's part of his role to give it to Matty Roberts to try to you know hit break those lines. hard kicks and yeah. yeah break lines and try to get it further down the field. So again, coming uh, runner up last year, and they're not they're not a young team, so I don't know how many new guys they are going to blood. But Matty Roberts would be one I keep an eye out. Uh, Ruben Gimby for the Eagles just slides straight in 17 disposals, team high six clearances, which. I think it's a little bit embarrassing for West Coast. You had all your midfielders <laughs> returning and sort of, you know, get playing their first game for, you know, uh, after being no, just leave it for the young last year. Just but yeah, exactly. He sort of uh, stepped up and showed the way. But all the West Coast fans told me that I should have had Yo, Cali, Shuey, Gaff, all these guys in the in the top 50. <laughs> yeah, and he, he led them all. So, and again, same as what I talked about, Cam McKenzie at Hawthorne. Gimby had four inside 50s, five rebound 50s, so and plus the six clearances. So he did it at either end of the field. So he's got the tank and the engine to go up and back, but he's also got the inside uh, inside skill to win the ball. And Oscar Baker for the Bulldogs might be another one where we sit here at round 15, 16, a bit of a George Hewitt about the Oscar Baker pickup, that the Bulldogs have picked him up for a specific need, run up and down that wing that Lockie Hunter's no longer there for and, and you know, and move the ball for us. He had 22 disposals, uh, eight marks, all uncontested, all up on the wing and sort of was that, was that link player. So another one of those ones that... Probably a no-name pickup, but the Bulldogs sort of identified him and have Could given be him the that, recruit of the year. And so. have given well again just underrated, recruit yeah, underrated recruit of the year because they've they've got oh, a position there Hewitt for him and they're going to slot slot him straight into it. But I don't think many people would know who Oscar Baker is exactly. Even Melbourne supporters might not know yeah. who he is after three years at the club. Um, yeah, good stuff. That I think that's the thing with when you have players that change clubs, players that that join clubs for very specific needs. You got mm. draftees coming in that they're playing. Uh, you talk about someone like Sheasel who started half forward and was moved half back because that's where the ball was. Um, so it's good to get a little indication early of what we can expect from these guys with a little bit of proper AFL match sim there. I know you can always look at these training visions and you see Jason Horn Francis take a mark at half forward, turn on a dime and deliver one inside 50 at port training. But when I see it round one in yeah. front of 40,000 at Adelaide Oval, that's uh, what I want to be 
want to be seeing. And this is kind of the, the little indications that we get from these players early. Yeah, I don't know. You you said it probably seven or eight times about uh, first-year players and just then, as you went through the, the, the 18 teams, that such and such just fit in seamlessly or something along those lines. I feel like that's a trend we're seeing in football in the last... Well, more so now than we, than we did maybe even 10 years ago, where players come in, they're, they're just ready. They're ready to go. They, they hit the ground running. They don't look totally out of their depth early, at least the top end of the draft. And, and you know, every team will have one or two guys that look pretty well settled very early on. Good sign. Good sign. Uh, what else have we got today? Coaching pressure power rankings. We're running a little bit short of time, but with that article is coming out tomorrow. Yeah. That's Wednesday. Um, that will be a good one. Well, it is a good one. I've, I've seen it. Thank you. Uh <laughs> I think it's a pretty consensus number one who's under the most pressure this year. If I had to ask you, Christian, without having seen the article, coach under the most pressure to perform this year. <laughs> Don't say the Jeez, wrong name. Yeah, exactly. You put me on the spot. Uh, go through the team. I, I, I try not to think about coaches and put pressure on coaches too much. Uh, yeah. Kenny Hinckley, though, probably. Yeah. Isn't it for the fifth year in a row, probably? Yeah. <laughs> Kenny yeah. Well, he's been there, Unfortunately, what, yeah. 11 years? Yeah. Been a, been a decade. Um, yeah. I think Hink- Hinckley was, was a consensus number one amongst us. Bit bit shady after that. Who would you say would be next? Uh, I think I think you can throw a blanket over a few. Probably the one, whether fair or not, would be Chris Fagan. Fagan. Um, although I think I think last year winning winning a final did help helped a lot. But you know you're only as good as what what campaign you throw up. You know if if Brisbane get knocked out again don't win a final, whatever it is, the criticism will come and people will be calling for change. Well, they're reloading again. You, yeah. you say Dunkley gets added to that side. Oh, Dunkley um, and Ashcroft. I mean, well, the mid- Ashcroft, yeah. but also and Gunston, Gunston well. and forward yeah. line. I mean, uh, and an extra avenue to goal. Yeah, so day. you don't have the excuses now. You no longer have the excuses of, we don't have the experience or we don't have the players. You Or, you know, Chris Fagan doesn't have the experience coaching. You have all of that now. So, um, But at the same time, we say it every year, only one team wins and 17 don't. You can't fire 17 coaches. No. Uh, Vossi, under pressure? A, a little bit, but I think more so because of the way Carlton capitulated the, the from 82 to missing finals. But yeah. at the same time, it's not like he's been there for a long time where he's he's continually failed. So I think he's got a fair bit of rope, but you wouldn't want to be... You wouldn't want to have another strong start and then fall away in the back end again. You, you, it's, the, it's the classic old saying where, you know, don't make the same mistake twice. You know, it's, yeah. it's one thing if, if whatever happens, but... You've got to find a way to, because the way in which Carlton fell away in the back half of the year was catastrophic, given the list they had. Yeah, uh, and the start injuries. they had, um, and it was even it was the the season sort of encapsulated what happened early in the year in within games when we were starting we were starting <laughs> on fire, and um, you know those half those big six seven eight goal leads in the second quarter just disappeared and we had to hold on in the last few minutes that happened three times in three weeks um, a couple of ones that I found that were quite hard to place and you have to probably read the article mm. espn.com.au forward slash afl to find out uh, Longmuir yeah good good result last year finished fifth yeah uh, but they probably but all need of a sudden there's imp- more pressure on now exactly they probably need to keep improving from here yeah going backwards you probably look at that and you think is this it for this group mm-hmm. um, and Luke Beveridge you know they've never finished in the top four when he's been in charge Crazy, isn't it? And they've Two grand finals, won a grand final, one. and they've lost a grand final, having come from outside the the four. Yeah, uh, he, is he under pressure or not? I mean, he's been we, there a while he now as well. Kind of is, but it's not. When you say that, it's is it a little bit? It seems like they they, they have don't need they to have be great the, years. Yeah, 
or disappointing years. There's ne- they never they rarely have a and, good and year. What was last year? Because I, I think I think if people have probably I think forgotten last year that was they, disappointing. Yeah, because they only made the finals on the very very last day yes. because of other other results. So again, they, you know, it's almost. I, I think he's probably. Again, as I said, don't like talking about coach, but I think he is number two on the pressure. Number two on the pressure ranking because Ooh, is he of number that, two on the list. Find out they were, Yeah, they were grand final two years ago. They were lucky to make finals last year. If they miss finals this year, yeah, that's, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. There you go. Uh, fair enough. Uh, you have to you have to read that. Funny thing, lists. Uh, yeah. No one ever agrees. <laughs> uh, time for red time. Brought to you by Subway. Jake, yes. got Subway back on board again. Oh, it's always good. Now, the matter of red time is you don't know how long you got, so keep it brief. Okay. But well, the question is, and I need to scroll to find this. Where are we? Real or not, having four field umpires will make a difference to the standard of umpiring in 2023. Well, I don't know how brief you want it, but yeah, I think it definitely will. Um, I don't know if it's going to be better or worse in the long run having four field, umpire, field umpires as opposed to three, but I think it's quite clear that we're going to have more free kicks paid um, in the early days of it of, of it happening. So I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. And I think most footy fans would agree the more free kicks, you pay the ones that are there, but you don't want just lots of tiny little holding here, holding there, off the ball calls paid because you all of a sudden have another set of eyes um, that's watching another passage of play. I think it's good that they'll be able to pick up on things that deserve to be free kicks. But I my worry is that there's going to be too many paid early and then there'll probably be the classic round five overreaction and then so much is going to be let go. So that's probably the concern I have with it. But yeah, it's it's going to, it's going to change and it's probably here to stay. I'll offer my very brief take on this. I think the fact that you can have umpires coming at contests from different angles now mm. means you might pick up the egregious throw, the shovel. Um, you know, the player who, who gets tackled to the ground and the ball hits the ground and the umpire behind can't see, so can't pay holding the ball. Yeah. The ones that you go, oh, I can't believe the umpire missed that up, oh, they're on the other side of the contest. Mm. Uh, and I think there'll be a few of these where you can kind of... The umpires, it might take them a few rounds to work out where to best position themselves and how to how to get around the contest and how to call another umpire through to get... get you go to the forward line, I'll, I'll stick around here. Um, but that's I think ultimately the goal is to just get a better standard of umpiring. Yeah, and of the Tiggy Touchwood ones may... may eventuate but i think you're right after sort of a certain number of weeks that you won't even notice that they're there yep cool uh i think that's about it for today i'm going to wrap things up there and we'll be back next week uh, we've got some predictions to do with some more discussions about bits and pieces that we've got coming in the next couple of weeks on the website espn.com.au forward slash afl uh if you haven't read jake's best 50 players give it a go let him know let him know give what you think he, he reads the feedback this oh, is the great I thing do. some some of it yeah um <laughs> I actually enjoy... I prefer reading the negative feedback to the positive feedback, (laughs) mainly because that's all there is. But um, it's quite entertaining. Please have a read. Feel free to reach out. Let me know what you think, good or bad. And um, like I said at the bottom of the list, always keen to see what other people do. I obviously read Mark Robinson's Robinson's very closely. Anyone else has that put... There are a couple of people that actually put some, some sort of list together and had a look at them and... It's hard. It's very, very, very hard. That's all I'll say. Certainly is. Uh, Christian, good to see you with you again. Jake, as always. Uh, to everyone at home, we will speak to you in the next episode. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.